2 Corinthians 3, 6 through 18 has been our focus. We're moving into point two, but I'll set the stage but again for what we're dealing with. The reason that I am so adamant about this is the New Testament is adamant about this. It is repetitive. It was dealt with in Galatians. It's dealt with in Romans. It is dealt with in the book of Acts. It is dealt with in Philippians and Ephesians. It is dealt with in the conclusion of the age in Revelations. I'm seeing a pattern. And I believe that what has happened in the body of Christ is that we have falling into the snare and we allow things to govern us that no longer have governance over us and we allow things that should sway us not to because we are doing it ourselves and um, I, I believe that part of that is I had a friend of mine who wrote a book called The Rest of Grace and it's a double entendre Uh, Everyone says, well, it means there is more grace or does it mean to rest in that grace? And I said, yes. There is more grace when you are resting in it. The problem is, is that I see too many in the body of Christ who are pursuing things. And in the spiritual, don't get me wrong. And yet I think to myself, Why are you wasting the energy? I thought he was the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's pray and we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have eyes to see as we look at this time, uh, this, this season that we are in in the body of Christ here. Father, may we be sensitive to those who are longing, those who are looking. And yet, Father, may we understand They, so many, are still under the old covenant. And yet, Father, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you've made the old obsolete. Father, we who are called by your name, let us rest there full weight to your glory and praise. Father, let us, as Paul has challenged us, be ministers of a new covenant. Father, be ministers of the sweet aroma of Christ to all men and women as it rises even unto you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. 
Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over the heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror... The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. We are looking at a section I basically have entitled the glory of the new covenant. Uh, It is a contrast of the old covenant and the new covenant by the Apostle Paul. This new covenant, and last week we partook of the Lord's table, is purchased and enforced By the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why if you look at it, Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. Okay, if you go look at the covenant, any covenant offering, there's the shedding of blood. That's why I keep trying to tell people that the next wedding I do, I would like to do it with the shedding of blood. Get us a big old cow, cut it in half and have the bride and the groom walk through the middle of it. I ain't into that, dude. <laughs> okay, we'll have PETA and everybody down here. But anyway, um, that it is, is blood spilled is the new covenant. What is the Old Testament? It is spilling of innocent blood over and over, day in and day out, and day in and day out. All right? The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the, there's one very glaring difference. The new covenant promises salvation. The old covenant never does. Never does. Abraham was not saved by obeying the law. He was like 400 years before the law. All right. Moses was not saved by obeying the law. King David was not saved by obeying the law. Elijah, Elijah. We're not saved. Samuel was not saved. The promise of salvation comes through the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And it is all sufficient. It's all sufficient. There's nothing lacking. The new saves. This new covenant in the blood of Christ saves This is the heart of the Christian gospel. All right. We talk about it, the death and the resurrection. The death says for man to be right standing before a holy God, there must be a death to pay the penalty. It has to be a perfect life. To pay the penalty. And you will know it's a perfect life. Because then God will raise it. This is crucial people. I I watch people cruising around. And you know. Well you know it's not really that big a deal. And you know maybe Mohammed is the same kind of guy. And you know Harry Krishna. He's the kind of guy too. No. The death. 
is the innocence to pay the penalty of the guilty. The resurrection is God saying, Amen. Through that death and resurrection, God provides the forgiveness of sin. Through that death and resurrection, God provides a covering of righteousness. Through that death and resurrection, God provides eternal life. That is the message of the ministers of the new covenant. You know, I, I listen to people and, and they get their uh, proverbial underwear in a bunch over the holidays. You know, well, they can't have a nativity scene out in front of the building. We can't can't do this thing here. And uh, I heard that there's a a, a a steeple that plays music, and people complained that they were the songs were too religious, and so they just quit playing Christmas carols through the the tower. And you're you're sitting there going, but you know, I watch the church get all apoplectic over all of this, and I keep thinking, but you've missed the point. The point is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It ain't some little statue in a manger. Although, although did you see where the camel fell over? They, they, they had a live nativity and they brought the animals into the church. Okay, and that one was a camel. Okay, and it's coming down the aisle and for some reason. It just kadoom, falls over on the pews on these people. And you're like, well, there's something you just don't see every day. But I thought, you know what? I think you've stole the focus of the Christ's birth. <laughs> but we get into these things. Why? Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it would have been cool. But the truth of the matter is... Is that the issue? The issue is Jesus Christ's death and resurrection paid the penalty and is your covering in righteousness. That is our message as servants of a new covenant. The gospel and Paul, unfortunately, have been dogged for centuries with minutia. It is dogged by those who want to teach the old covenant and they confuse the issue of salvation. When I can hear evangelical pastors, well, I guess pastors in this day and age saying, when you ask them, how was someone saved under the old covenant? And they say, by keeping the law, We've made a mistake someplace. We have a very serious problem. But it's so comforting to me to know that Paul had already dealt with it. It's not like it's a new phenomenon. The good news of Christ Jesus, he is sufficient to save. It is salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it has no necessity of ritual or ceremony. Nothing we can do can contribute to that salvation. That's why Paul is so adamant. 
There is no ceremony. There is no human works that add to salvation. A sinner, broken, contrite, humbled over his or her own sin. Please make that adamant. Realizing there is no way out of judgment. Comes to God and begs for grace and mercy and comes to God and begs for forgiveness. It's that simple. I mean, what is the ritual there? What is the ceremony there? There isn't one. It is the Holy Spirit convicting that person that they are headed for hell and God's wrath. God, on the basis of what Christ Jesus has done to satisfy his own justice, pours out his glory upon that sinner and shows his grace and his mercy. Okay, now then, I told you when we started this text about 12 years ago <laughs> that at times this was going to be more like a, a lecture. Okay, today's going to be one of them times. All right, because I think there's some things going on in the body of Christ, maybe even in this group, that need to be clarified biblically. Okay, when I see Christ's message, Right, I get people who throw out Romans ten at me, and you know, you know, oh, you you believe that God raised him from the dead, and believe in your heart, you know, oh yeah, man, that he is Lord, then you'll be saved. What Romans says, okay, but you know what I've learned is when we talk about faith, we've missed it. We have a skewed view I've run into people in, in my life who knew me before my uh, redemption uh, who know me now and the, one of their statements to me would be this I heard you're a man of faith now okay now I have the quick comeback and you, you guys have heard it you know I've never met anybody in 54 years that's not a person of faith uh, it's just what do you put your faith in let me tell you what faith is. It comes in three elements. Okay. Now, please understand this. It takes all three to have faith. I don't care if this is faith in your government. I don't care if this is faith in your spouse or faith in your kids or faith in your education or your business or whatever. You have to have three elements. One, you have to have knowledge. Okay. Saving faith. Right? For a person to be saved, they have to have an understanding of the basics of biblical truth regarding salvation. Okay? Basics of salvation. Well, one of the things that's amazing to me is most people don't even know what they're being saved from. You know, I think my wife is going to leave me, or I think my husband's going to leave me, or I think I'm going to lose my job, or I think I'm going to do, and maybe Jesus should save me, and then these other things won't happen. That is not a basic understanding of salvation. 
the basic understanding of salvation is you are a sinner, an enemy to God. And at some point, have you ever heard this verse? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of salvation. Did you note that it's not salvation? It is the beginning of salvation. Why? At some point, you've got to be afraid of him. Well, that ain't the Bible. That ain't the God of the New Testament. Really? Read Revelations. That scares me. You could read Revelations and say, man, you know, I just got to make sure I don't go through that. Well, what is that? The seven years? I don't care. Any part of it doesn't sound good. So there has to be, number one, there has to be an understanding of the basics of biblical truth regarding salvation. What are you being saved from? You, <laughs> sorry, is what you're being saved from. Second thing is what is called assent. Okay? You step beyond. Okay, I understand the basics of salvation. I am a sinner condemned. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. I believe in my heart that He is Lord, and I believe that God raised Him from the dead. So now I take a step beyond. There isn't a confidence in that knowledge now that affirms the facts of that knowledge. Got it? If you think about it, isn't that how faith is? If I'm going to put faith in something, I want knowledge of it, and then I get the knowledge of it, now I can be confident in that knowledge of what I'm trusting in. Third thing, there has to be trust. Why? In salvation, I act on the knowledge I have in the basis of salvation. I ascend and step in confidence into grasping who Christ Jesus, and He is the only hope of salvation. Okay, if any of those three are not in you when you came to salvation, you're not saved. Got it? You've got to have all three. It ain't two out of three. You know, I got two and a half out of three. All right. Now then I will defend them biblically. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand the worlds were created. Right? It was knowledge. I believe it. Verse, chapter 11, verse 1. The assurance of things hoped for. Okay? I have the information and I am assured of it. I am confident of it. I am, cannot waver from it. And then in Hebrews 11.1, 1, the convictions of the things not seen. Okay? That is faith. That is the belief in this message. The belief in the person of Christ Jesus. There is no ceremony apart from it. There is no ritual apart from it. It's that simple. Knowledge, confidence, steadfastness. Okay? That's why in a true Christian church, 
where the gospel is understood in a, uh, I think it was Linsky called it a new covenant environment. You don't have ceremonies, you don't have symbols, you don't have liturgical stuff or sacraments of this or sacramentalism or any of that other stuff. It's not necessary. Just a clear explanation of the reality of Christ Jesus. Not depending on symbols for our salvation. We only depend on the reality of Christ. Okay? As with Paul, as you and I today, there are those who have a sacramental religion or a symbolic religion, and it is a system, it is a methodology, it is a thing that they do to say, look at me. They have a symbolic behavior. Uh, they'll have these behaviors. It's like the thing on the Wednesdays um, where the guy walks around. I, I remember the first time I seen a guy with that. Had the dirt on his head, um, the ashes on his head. Okay, and they walk around, and I don't remember what it means. Was it, doesn't it come after Monday Tuesday or Monday Thursday? And Ash Wednesday is after the, the party, right? Fat Tuesday. Oh, gosh. See how well I keep up? Okay, but I remember watching these guys, and they run around with this thing on their forehead, and you're like, yo, dude, you got to. I'm, I'm mourning. Oh, <laughs> okay, now, I, before I got saved, I partook of the Mardi Gras, but I never mourned. <laughs> I probably should have, but I, I couldn't wake up that early. But anyway, <laughs> my, my head hurt. Um, there are people in the body of Christ today. You know, I know a guy right now in a Lutheran church. Now, you know Lutheran, right? They're the ones who got really mad at the Pope, you know, and... They all left. They celebrate Ash Wednesday. And I mean, and this guy goes out and he gets um, palm branches. I don't, I don't, <laughs> there's a road trip, but uh, uh, he gets palm branches and then he has this ritual where he burns them in olive oils and stuff like that. And then it has this paste and all the people and they come up and they put the thing on their forehead. And I'm sitting there going, uh, I thought you were Lutheran. Well, I am. Well, I, I, I thought Martin was sort of like against the symbolism of the Catholic Church. But then he made the statement that it is the pastor's responsibility to um, appropriate the sins of the congregations. And I was like, Why? you guys are in trouble. <laughs> if you think I'm going to appropriate your sins, I'm still dealing with mine. <laughs> okay, stand in line. Um, here and even in Corinth, there are those who come back in wanting a behavior to have a spiritual meaning. It does something. They slide in and then they will get their anchor in there and demand that the redeemed need to validate their redemption. Uh, and that shows up in all kinds of way. Um, keeping ceremonial things. But, but I even know those who would push the point of circumcision. Um, partake in the washings. You know, I, you know, I, I hear people who said, well, do you ever have a foot washing ceremony? 
Why? Well, it's humbling. Dude, I can look in the mirror. That's humbling. God saved me. I, I don't... Ceremonies, I, I see sacrifices. I, you, you should, I, I remember a friend of mine was preaching in Kenya and he, he went in and, and when he was watching all the people coming in, they had animals, chickens and, and, and things to sacrifice. And he's like, oh, this is going to be awkward. Okay, and he says, well, what are they doing with all these sacrifices? He says, well, I'm slowly going through Scripture and we're in Leviticus. And it says, that's what it's supposed to do. And I was like, you should tell them, start at the other end. <laughs> Work out. Um, there are those who push for the old covenant. And yet Hebrews, we looked at this in depth. They're obsolete. The real has come. The old was a shadow. We have that that showed the shadow. See, for there to be a shadow, there has to be something real casting it. I have the real. I don't need the shadow. And yet there are those in the body of Christ who want to go back. And let me tell you something. You go back to symbols... What your action says is that you have rejected the real. And, and, and you know, there's a group in the Methodist church right now who is calling a council together to deny the virgin birth. Well, that's a brilliant idea. I, you know what? That would get away of the controversy of the nativity scene, wouldn't it? But you see what I'm trying to get at? You just sit there and go, but see what happens is you symbolize, 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 symbolize. And then you get out here and you're like, well, we can do just about anything. And isn't that what we do? The, the trick to this is people who bring in the old covenant teachings. They're better than some. Why? They can say, thus saith the Lord. Right? I mean, there's some people out there that make some of this stuff up. Uh, it's Roman Catholicism and sainthood. You know, they've, they've got this criteria to become a saint. You, and one of the criteria is you have to die. Okay, and so you never ever get the benefits of being a saint. Anyway, um, I don't know how that works. But he said, who made that up? That's not biblical. You can't find that anywhere in the Bible. The Bible says if you believe they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, guess what? Dun, dun, dun. You're a saint. Some of us ain't as saintly as others, but you're still a saint. But you, you get into these things and you watch traditions all of a sudden start hiding things. You look at Judaism at the time of Christ. You need to understand something about Judaism. Its foundation was Biblical. But you get down the line and it starts moving out and, and then I'll deal with that a little more here in a minute, but it becomes rituals and ceremonies. Paul's concern is that people understand the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. 
And I want to try to spend a little time on this because the old covenant is glorious. Please understand. Okay, I, I, we have a tendency to bolt and I ain't touching nothing. Okay, I'm, I'm going to cut my Bible. I'm not even going to read the Old Testament. Well, that's not the plan. We need to understand that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant are not in opposition. Okay, um, but we do need to understand the transition between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. See, the best way I can understand it. You know, Charles Spurgeon, and I can't remember what book it was I was reading, but he was describing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he said that the Old Covenant is like the most eloquent mansion that you could ever envision with detail and ornate work, stonework, woodwork, paneling, and all the rest. You name it. The most ornate mansion you could ever have imagined. That's the old covenant. And the new covenant turns all the lights on so you see the detail. I look at it a little simpler than the prince of preachers. One gives way to the next. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It sounded really good the first time, didn't it? The old covenant in and of itself was not complete. It could not save. It could not grant righteousness. Okay, what I mean by righteousness is right standing with a holy, sinless God. Okay. But the old covenant did serve a purpose. Huge purpose. Points to Christ. The law, the old covenant, showed that we needed good news. See, you know, one of the things, when we hear the word gospel, we say, well, that means good news. Okay. The problem with the good news is you got to have the bad news first. Right? Because if, if you don't understand the bad news, is it really that good of news? The old covenant shows the law and the power of grace. Okay? Last week I kind of touched on this. I want to kind of develop it a little more this day. Last week I talked about when you think of the law, the old covenant. Okay? Three parts. You have the civil law, the moral law, and the ceremonial law. Okay? That is the law, the Mosaic law. All right? The thing that we tend to miss is that in the three components, we see the glory of God. It's listed right there because of the glory of his face fading as it was. What? Moses in the presence of God. What? Receiving the law. What law was that? Well, if you read the book Deuteronomy, okay, the word means second law. And it literally says, Israel, this is how you will conduct yourself in the land of milk and honey that Joshua is going to take you into. How are you going to interact among the pagans? 
So the first part of it is the civil law. It is God-given instruction. It is God's social and economical life for the people Israel. This is how you do it. Okay? I mean, everything from banking and loans to slaves and the seventh-year Sabbath and all of this stuff. Why? I want you to be a unique people among the world. Where you're going to be at is full of pagans. I want you to be unique. I am your God. You are my people. And I want everybody around you to say, there's some unique people. It's probably not exactly the way they stated it, but you get the point. It would isolate them from their world. So they wouldn't be overly influenced by the paganism and the idol worships that took place. They could maintain themselves as a testimony of the true one God. That was what the civil law was for. It was designed to make Israel the nation a unique nation. Second part, the moral law. Um, you could call it ethics. Um, it's not so much social behavior or economics. Uh, it deals with morality. I, I mean, there's things in the moral law. We think about, uh, you know, five of the Ten Commandments, you know, don't covet, do not commit adultery, don't steal, and things like that. But they had other things in there. Okay, uh, if two men were fighting, okay, and a pregnant woman <laughs> got in the middle of it, and for whatever reason she got injured and lost a child, who's responsible? I mean, my thing was this woman shouldn't have walked in the middle of it, but <laughs> that's why God says, I'll write the law. You just tell them. <laughs> okay. And, and how is it played out? Why? It had a morality to it. Um, basically, when I think about morality, I think about man's behavior towards God and man's behavior towards man. All right. So in this social realm that I am involved with humans, um, have a behavior that is moral. Uh, when, I, when I think about the moral law, I think about it has to do with my heart. It, it has to do with virtue. It has to do with righteousness. Oh, it has to do with sin. Okay? Third part is the ceremonial. And the ceremonial is basically nothing more than a series of pictures, of, 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 of symbols. But one of the things, whether it's the civil law, the moral law, or the ceremonial law, in one way or another, they all are tied to redemption. Everything is pointing to redemption. They're all tied to God's saving purpose. And the key to God's saving purpose is showing the sinfulness of man. You know, one of the things that I hear today, I, I, I listen. They were talking about this tax thing that's going on in our government. And, and they're saying, well, this is immoral. And I'm sitting there going, really? Why do those words sound so funny? All right, I, I, 
I'm not sure how you look at tax rates. Well, I am, but it's immoral? Really? Let's see what man's relationship to man is. Let's see what man's relationship to God is. And then I will tell you what morality is. You know, you've heard this um, with the abortion debate argument that's been going on for a few years now, by the way, um, that you cannot legislate morality. Really? Question. Is murder immoral? I would call it immoral. I think any human being would call it immoral, except for maybe a murderer. Right? So, by the way, you can legislate morality. When I hear them tell me this tax rate is going to be immoral, then it sounds to me like we are legislating Morality. It's just when is it convenient? That's why I like just ten. Ten rules on morality. Five to God, five to man, piece of cake. But see, I even get confused with that one. So I get mine down to two. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your neighbor as yourself. Uh, see, I can solve the second one. I'll buy me a deserted island and go live on it. <laughs> and then I'll work on number one. <laughs> when I think about the ceremonial pictures, I think about the innocence of animals and the prelude to the cross. You know, one of the things um, we've we've all heard of the Passover, right? And you know, when uh, Moses was in Egypt and the angel of death would pass over. But there was a bunch of things that the people of Israel had to do, wasn't there? They had to go get him a lamb. Okay? A lamb. Not a sheep. A lamb. Have you ever seen a lamb? Cute little buggers, ain't they? Ding, 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 ding. They, they bounce. Ding, ding, ding. You ever seen them? I had a friend who worked on a, what do they call them, sheep farm? They ain't a ranch. I'm ranching sheep. I think cattlemen would be furious. Um, but I've seen the little baby lambs. They're, they're as cute as a button, right? I mean, just ding, 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 and they bounce around and little ears twitching around and everything, right? And we always think about this Passover lamb sacrifice. You've got to cut its throat and bleed it, and gee, many crickets are going to get a little lamb, and you know who are we going to get to do that? You know what you miss on that, though? You know, you go get that lamb, and it lives in your house. For seven days. So that your kids get to sleep with it and pet it. Dad gets cleaned up the little lamb poop. I don't know, I don't, do you, in seven days you can't house train a lamb. Okay. So you got the little lamb. He's living there with you. It's in the house. He gets up for breakfast in the morning. Ding, 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 ding. Comes out of the bedroom. Little kids are like, Daddy, you slept with me last night. And little pillow. And it just chilled to death. And then on Friday, Dad comes in and says, Bring me the lamb. Watch this. By the way, we get to do this once a year. Your hatred shall grow. (laughs) 
Why? Because the sacrificial system said there had to be the shedding of innocent blood. John the Baptist seen Jesus coming down the hill and says, Behold the who will take away the sins. Oh, did I tell you he'll live with you? He'll walk among you and you'll get to really liking him. I don't need the little lambs anymore. I have the real thing. There needs to be a, a time of cleansing to prepare me for this. Remember, John's baptism was the baptism of what? Repentance. Why? Prepare the way. Why? We do this understanding that there has to be a sacrifice of innocence. There has to be a cleansing. Why? Because the benefit, the goal is salvation. The old covenant says, look, that is its glory. It is preparing our hearts for hearts to rest. Enter into the Lord of the Sabbath. You don't have to just keep it. You know, on a day of, you know, any weight or load for on the Sabbath day is anything over a fig leaf. I worked on a house. I used to be an electrician. I worked on a house up in Evergreen. And the guy was hardcore Jewish. And he had pressure switches in the floor to turn lights on. Because if you flipped a switch, that was more than a fig leaf. And that was lifting a load on the Sabbath day. It's good money for me, man. I don't care how we turn these suckers on. <laughs> we can do the clapper. <laughs> we, I can do whatever you want, dude. All right. But you could. But I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, I can't lift anything over a fig leaf. You don't do much on Saturday, do you? Actually, young man, it's sundown Friday night till sundown Saturday. Okay. That means Saturday nights. Lights are on. It's all symbolic parts of the Mosaic Law, and they are all built around the redemptive purpose of God. But it has to show you you need to be saved. You know, I know a whole bunch of people right now who don't think they need to be saved. I believe in God, and I haven't done anything that bad. So the law then, with those three parts, civil, moral, ceremonial, was very comprehensive and it covered it all. And it was given to a very special people, a unique people, a peculiar people on how they would live in the world and yet be separate, how they would deal with deity, how they would deal with feasts and festivals, how they deal with their daily routine, how they deal with their customs and their traditions, even their dress, what they were going to do with their crops, even their livestock, even their own earthly possessions. It was all dealt with comprehensively in the three parts of the Mosaic Law. Yet, separate from the world for a purpose. Why? To reach the world. Okay, remember Peter's vision of all the stuff coming down out of heaven, had all the blankets, and all the food. And he says, you know that I have always kept your dietary laws. You know what that means? He kept all the dietary laws. You know why? That was easy. 
That's easy. And God says, you know what? If I made it, give thanks and eat. And by the way, you're getting ready to take the gospel to Joppa. You know where Joppa was? Northernmost city in a place that the Jews considered the most evil place on the whole planet. Samaria. Samaritan was a Jew who had married a Gentile. I was in Israel, in Jerusalem, on the Sabbath. Okay, now I, you may not really realize this, but I just don't look Middle Eastern. Okay, even when I had a full beard, I didn't look Middle Eastern. You know what that makes me? Gentile. And on the Sabbath, if a Jew touches a Gentile, they are unclean. And nobody is allowed to drive because the car keys more than a fig leaf. So they're all out walking. And here I am, a number one Gentile, in all of these Jewish people. And it was like parting of the Red Sea. They didn't want to get anywhere around. I took joy in it. It was the Sabbath. Watch this. You just step off the curb onto the sidewalk, and it was... They didn't want to touch me. Why? They would become defiled. And if Messiah shows up and you have been defiled, you are cast away. Well, what if he shows up today? you got bigger problems than whether you bumped into me or not. <laughs> but anyway. But you see what I'm trying to get at? That's today. That is today. And of course, that side of me says, this could be a blast. I can cause an nah, never mind, international incident. <laughs> but yet, the old covenant was given, the Mosaic law was given so that the Jews would stand as a testimony to the true living God to reach the rest of the world. Here's one of the things killing the church today. We have the new covenant that's been given to us to reach the world. But guess what? The world reached us. Look at the church today and tell me she is unique to the world. We did the same things as Israel. Oh, I think Paul said that once. Israel's given to you as a testimony of what not to do. We read that one good, didn't we? Memorize that verse. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You and I have the reality of Christ. It is so real, verse 18, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, what? The glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. When I look in the mirror, what do I see? He needs a shave. No. I thought Jesus was taller. <laughs> See, when the new covenant came in the blood of Christ, the civil, a unique nation, it's gone. Why? Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. Some believe that there are two in the church. You'll hear that. I go to a Messianic congregation. What the heck is that? I go to a Messianic congregation too. Nah. (laughs) 
Well, I do. If you believe in Christ, isn't that a messianic kind? Well, ours is Jewish. Oh. No. Paul is adamant in the middle of Romans. Nine and ten, man. Oof. No, there's one. You know, and, and I listen to this all the time. There's the church, there's Jews, and there's Gentiles. There's no such thing as a Jewish church. It started out a Jewish church, but if you look at it right now, what does it more look like? A Gentile church. And when the fullness of the Gentile is reached, he'll go back and deal with Israel. All right? And I'm trying to find that last Gentile. Can you imagine? Person believes in Christ and boom, you're in his presence, everybody. And he'd have to look at it. Is that like it's for everybody? <laughs> no, dude, you're last. <laughs> Ceremonials set aside. Hebrews is adamant about it. Colossians chapter 2. Feet, let nobody put you under the burden of feasts and new moons and Sabbaths. Okay. Hebrews really says, you know, there's already been a sacrifice. There's no need for a sacrifice. Hebrews kind of proved its point because five years after the writing of the letter of Hebrews, the temple was destroyed. So I'm sort of like, now then, did you get that point? But the heart of the law is the moral. Judaism was a picture. But what happens when man gets a picture? He corrupts it. He corrupts it. Okay, now then, I'm going to close with this up because I want you to think about this moral law. All right? More numbers. Three basic reasons for the moral law. I was kind of stuck on threes. What can I say? I'm still getting back. I got eight points here. So, Three basic reasons. Reason number one. The number one reason for the moral law. Okay? Reveal God. Reveal God. Listen. You'll never see God more clearly in His holiness, in His supreme attributes then you will see him in his revealed moral law. Never is he more clearly defined in his holiness than there. The truest expression of God comes through his law. Isaiah 6 says, God revealed and the angels said, Holy, holy, holy. All right. Two reveals God's will for man's behavior. Okay, it's man's standard. Paul said that the law was holy, just, and good. All right. The truth of a holy God and his holy standard for man's behavior. Okay. So it reveals God, His attributes and His holiness. Two, it reveals God's will for man's standard of behavior. Which brings us to the third thing that the moral law does. Okay, now remember, this is the glory. It reveals God. How glorious is that? It reveals God's standard for our life. How glorious is that? Thirdly, it renders man a sinner. I know. Is he going to say how glorious is that? 
Yeah. One of the things that's killing the church today, the evangelical church in America today, is that we don't confront the fact that men are sinners. We have diseases. I have a disease. I have a, you know, I came from a dysfunctional family and therefore I am fill in the blank. No, God says you're a sinner. Well, that hurts people's feelings. Dude, look at the alternative. As sinful man comes to the law and sees a holy God and God's holy standard for him, he looks at his own life and says, Woe is me, sinner. Have mercy on me. See, the moral law exposes sin. I can hide under ceremony. I can hide under the civil part of it. Nobody can see it. But the moral part says, here's holy God. Here's you. That's the purpose of the old covenant. That is the glory of the old covenant. Don't ever look at the old covenant and say, man, that is a cranky bunch of writing. It is glorious. It is that that condemned me. It is that that says, you know what? Beg for forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ. See, identifying a unique people separate from the world, a witness to a true God, that's cool. But if you really want to see a testimony to a lost world, then you will see God revealed, God's will for man, and it leaves man aware that they have fallen short and they're sinners and are really in desperate need of a Savior. By the way, I have one. There's no ceremony there. See, and that's what the Jews want to do today. Let's have a ceremony. And in, in, in Jerusalem, they all wear hats. And whoever your rabbi is, is the style of hat you do. You know, like some of them's beaver skin, some of them's top hats, and, and all the rest of it. And you can see the disciples of a given rabbi by their hats. Their hats look like, and, and I thought, well, well, I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> okay? But, but you see that over there. Why? It is keeping of the ceremonies. It is the keeping of the traditions. It is keeping of the... Rituals, I remember going down to the wall. We were there at Purim, which is the celebration of the book of Esther. Okay, and um, that's a high holy day in Israel. And, and I go down there and you got to put your thing on your head. Uh, you got to rent a one thing that you put on your head. And then you, you go up. Of course, you, you know, I still look like a Gentile walking up to the wall. Uh, um, but anyway, you, you go cruising up the wall and I look over and here's this guy. He's got this big old bag thing on and he's ripping at it and yelling, Adonai, and weeping and Elohim, Adonai, and ripping and tearing. And, and I'm sitting there going, oh, you poor man. And then he takes the bag off. He's got a suit on underneath it and he gives it back to the rabbi. And I'm sitting there going, what was that? If you're grieving over your sin, tear up the suit. (laughs) But when I first seen it, it was like, wow, that's powerful. Then I realized, yo, dude, you rented a rag. (laughs) Because I'm sitting there thinking, I can't pray. This man is in anguish. That's what the Jews would do. That's what the false will do too. 
They confuse, they deceive. They look at you and they say, hey, it's in the Bible. This thing was given by God himself. But what they do, and I see this over and over and over, is they substitute it for the moral. The moral says, look at the holiness of God. The moral says, this holy God has a standard. The moral says, how do you line up to it? But know this, that glory was fading. Okay? And we'll see that the glory of the new covenant produces righteousness. And that should rock your universe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, for your word, for the amazing things you do. Father, may we bow before your throne. Humble, contrite, for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, I think about man and his acting, his hypocrisy. Father, I beg that none of us would fall into that. That it isn't rituals, it isn't ceremonies, it isn't sacraments. We are blood-bought, paid for, not of our own. Father, we, every one of us, are now servants of the new covenant. Father, help me. Help me to walk worthy. Help these precious souls to walk worthy. Help these people to hunger and thirst for your righteousness, for your glory, for your praise. In Christ's name, amen.